Why are you running? Uh, I'm running because the very simple fact that I don't believe our representative represents our community anymore. Uh, they represent either talking points, special interest demands, or in some cases just themselves and their own gratification. Have you ever run for office before? I have never run before, but having seen like where our politics are today, I believe that we need the right now looking at the situation that we have in terms of just the constant arguing and bickering between the two parties and America not moving forward. And we're just spinning our wheels here in the mud. I believe that we need people that are not tied to these two parties, not tied to the special interests to be able to first of all, represent the community. And second of all, be able to get things going again and move past these divisive talking points and stuff that, that, isn't helping up helping move us forward. Is that what led you to run as an independent? Exactly. It's it's a situation where, you know, it's one of those where you just need to stop complaining and do something about it. And growing up on a small dairy farm, that's kind of how things always were. If things broke down, you had to go fix it. You can't sit there and whine about it. You have to get something done. And you had to get it done. And it's the same thing coming to this is that, you know, so many of us we find ourselves complaining about what's happening and what we're hearing and a lot of it is is driven by what's happening in our politics that we need to be able to fix this and i believe that stepping into this and being able to be a voice for the community not for talking points that are pushed by the parties again and not by the special interest but listening to the community hearing what the needs of the community are and being able to come up with common sense solutions that address those needs and that's 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 the basis of what what we need in our community well, let me ask you about the need. When you meet voters in the district, what do they say to you? What is their top issue, and how would you address it if elected? So there, there are two ways that I would look at this. The first is directly what your question was, is what is the needs and what are the issues that the community is facing? And that answer is unequivocally that we've seen the American dream has become unaffordable. Middle class has become unaffordable. When you talk to families that are making $100,000 and they're worried that one unexpected health care bill could, dr- could drive them into bankruptcy, we know that we're not in a stable situation. Even though we have an economy that, uh, that's at all-time highs, we have unemployment low. When you have low unemployment but those jobs are low-paying jobs and people can still barely put food on the table, I don't consider them high-quality sort of employment jobs. We need to be able to address that and be able to fix that and make the American dream affordable again. And, when it, and a lot of the big issues, one is looking at health care costs that are just absolutely rampant. And being an independent, I try to figure out what are those simple solutions that everybody can agree upon. Because I know that I, like, whether people want to say give health care to everybody or take it away from everybody, it doesn't make sense. These extremes don't make sense. But when you look at it from a very practical solution, how do we fix what we have here? The number one thing that 90% of the people agree with, pharmaceutical costs are way too high. We need to, just like every developed country in the world, we need to be able to put caps on our pharmaceutical prices. We can't allow these pharmaceutical companies to have monopolies on drugs to be able to just set their own prices. I find it ridiculous that Medicare, the largest buyer of drugs in the world, cannot negotiate drug prices. It's, it's written into law that was pushed by lobbyists, obviously. It makes absolutely zero sense. And so situations like that where we can start addressing the cost aspect, not gutting the services and stuff that we're getting from healthcare, but being able to address the cost side of it. Um, education is a huge one. Insurance costs across the board, whether it's healthcare, auto insurance, 
um, and it, any other insurance that you're looking at, health insurance or the insurances across the board, all of these issues, the prices we've seen going up dramatically over the last 10, 15 years, but at the same time, wage growth, the average wage, wage growth in the United States just got back to the same level that it was in 2008. So essentially, it's down to flat over the last 10 years. But we know those costs have not remained flat. They've gone up astronomically. So we need to be able to address that. Now, our listeners have identified four issues uh, that they have told us are most important to them in this election cycle. Uh, They are education, water quality, transportation, and uh, the redistricting process or gerrymandering, if you will. First up, how would you improve our schools? First and foremost, looking at the schools is we've got to stop teaching to a test. Every single educator, administrator I talk to, so that this is the most frustrating part of the entire process because you have teachers who are educated to teach in different areas can't do that because they have to they have to teach to the test. We know that not everybody is meant to go to college. There's nothing wrong with going to college and there's nothing wrong with not going to college. We need to be able to help our kids be able to identify what they're good at, what they want to do, um, and what's affordable. We can't be saying that kids should be going to college from kindergarten or first grade because if they don't, they're a failure in life. We need to let them know that there are other options. We're looking now, we're, we're facing a huge shortage of skilled labor jobs in our area or welders, carpenters, electricians, plumbers across the board. And these are jobs that kids could come out with the skills right after high school and be making $35,000, dollars $50,000 a year with no debt. And if you look at our district, our district, we only have 23% of the people in our district have a college education. And so when you look at that other portion, it's like, are we giving them the skills for the jobs of tomorrow? We need to make sure that we are giving them the skills of jobs of tomorrow. Right now, we have an imbalance on that side. And so we have a shortage of the skilled labor. We have a lot of people who don't have the skills. So we need to be able to train these people, whether they're high school students, whether they're unemployed. Um, we need to be able to help give them the skills to be able to get these jobs that give them a good middle class lifestyle. How would you protect our water? Um, in terms of the water, there's there's several issues that we're looking at, whether one is is um, the Great Lakes. This is the Great Lakes state. So by default, anybody that lives here should be defending this with everything they've got. There's there's absolutely no, no question. It doesn't matter what your party affiliation is or anything. This is a this is a, a nonpartisan issue. We need to be protecting that. We need to be protecting our cities. The issues that the other side of it is looking at water source quality when you're talking about the issues that you had in Flint with the lead pipes and everything. We need to make sure that everybody has access to clean water. We need to be able to make sure that everybody can test their own water. We got to enable people. Uh, I I believe in individual independence and we got to be able to make sure that everybody can test their own water, make sure that the quality is, is, is good, obviously, um, that their kids are safe, that they're safe. And be able, if it's not, be able to rectify that because that it's a very basic thing is, is having safe drinking water and access to water and make sure that we're protecting the Great Lakes. How would you improve transportation, uh, transit in the 10th district? Um, so that's, that's another big issue. Our, the, the Republican incumbent, his number one speaking point in 2016 when he ran for office was that he defeated a bill that would have helped fix our roads and bridges and our core infrastructure. Um, I look at that and it's like, we know that if we're not fixing it, the longer we go without fixing it, the more expensive it becomes to fix it. But then also all the damage. I heard a number that in Michigan, like in our district, we spend like 
six to eight hundred dollars a year on average fixing our cars because of how bad our roads are. And our current congressman bragged about the fact that he was the one that made sure that we didn't get funding for that. And oddly enough, now that there's funding for Mound Road, he's trying to take credit for it, even though we know that was that was in the works by previous legislators, not by him. Um, but looking at that in terms of being able to fix it is one, making sure that we do. We're, we're, this is the motor capital of the world. We should, you know, honestly, we should be having we should have the autobahn here. We should have beautiful roads. We need to make sure this has to be, but it has to be paid for. And so we need to make sure that we've got the money to be able to put into our infrastructure, whether it's coming from the state level, the federal level. It's going to take a combination of all of the above to be able to fix the roads, to fix the bridges, get them up to par. Because right now we have some of the worst roads in the United States. But also one thing I would add when we're talking about infrastructure spend that people don't think about. They're usually they're thinking about the roads and the bridges and stuff like that, these, tan, these really hard, tangible things. The other aspect that I would add is looking at broadband. Our district, a huge percentage of our district has no or very limited access to broadband. And so when you look at the largest growth driver of our global economy is going to be technology, and the vast majority of our district doesn't have access to broadband technology, we're not are at a foundational level. We're not even positioned for those jobs that are being created today. And so we need to be able to address this. This is, this is a huge issue. If we want to see our district and our area thriving and jobs coming back, we need to make sure at a fundamental level, just like electricity, we have access to broadband. Do you support or oppose Proposal 2, which would change the redistricting system, uh, and why or why not? I support it 100%. I think gerrymandering is at the core of the dysfunction that we have in, in society. Between that and Citizens United, which has allowed unlimited corporate spending in, in our politics, those are the two areas that fundamentally at a very foundational level for our politics have, have skewed things against the voters. It has skewed it in favor of the money and in favor of the politicians and not the voters. And so looking at it from that perspective, we need to fix that. We need to make sure that we do have independent commissions that are setting up, um, that, are, that are the ones doing the redistricting. And this isn't a Republican or Democrat issue. This is both parties' issue because when it depends on who's in, in charge. They both try to redistrict it in their own favor. We need to stop that. We need to take it out of their hands and make it an independent commission. What concerns, if any, do you have about tariffs and how they might affect farmers in the 10th District? Tariffs are it's a huge issue. Um, as you know, I've, I've been doing business internationally for uh, over 15 years now. And looking at tariffs, tariffs are horrible weapons of trade. And so when you look at it, at the very end of the day, the consumer, us, we're the ones that end up paying for it. And when we're looking at the tariffs right now, there are different ways. We needed to go after China. We needed to be able to stop them from from having this forced technology transfer, stealing our IP, and a lot of these other issues that, that we're grappling with. But from a tariff perspective, it has a very low impact on them. We see it right now. They're not even coming to the table to negotiate. There are other ways to be able to do that. But when we're looking at the tariffs specifically for the farmers, the farmers are taking it on the chin right now because prices have gone down dramatically. I've spoken to several farmers. They already know that soybeans are being rerouted through South America and Brazil, being labeled as Brazilian and sent to China. And so Brazil now is taking a percentage of our, our what should be our profit. Um, so you look at this. Because of the global economy, there are all these workarounds, whether it's steel, steel coming from China, China owns a lot of different steel companies around the world. And so they just pick a different country and they start exporting the steel from those countries and rerouting it through there. 
There's a lot of loopholes here. And so it's not and, – and, again, you see the, the, the clear impact is the fact that they're not even coming to the table to negotiate. And so I think it's a horrible choice of ways to be able to try and negotiate with China, but we need, we need to be able to go after them. The best way that we went after China was at the very beginning. We went after uh, the second largest telecommunications company in China. It's called ZTE, and we stopped selling chips into them. And that got China to stand up. They came to the table immediately. But what they ended up doing is they agreed to a billion-dollar fine, and then it was all okay. That was where we actually got their attention. We need to be able to look at issues like that and areas like that to more effectively be able to push for change at the, at the, the global trading level with them. What makes you the best candidate to serve the 10th district? Very simply, I'm not tied to party talking points and trying to ram that down people's throats and, and dividing our community. Um, and I'm not, I'm not forced to push the agendas of the special interests who pay for our politicians to be there. I'm running independent of the two parties telling me what to do. I'm running independent of the special interest demand. I'm, a, I'm the only candidate out there that's 100% dependent upon the community, 100% dependent upon the voters. And so I want to be able to make sure that I'm representing my community, the needs of our community, and be able to come up with common sense solutions that address our needs. And what haven't we talked about that you want to add? I would say that the old rhetoric that people are used to hearing that, oh, if you don't vote for the two parties, you're wasting your vote. I think it's marketing by the two parties to be able to push down any sort of competition in our politics. And I say that if we're voting for the same two parties again and again, aren't we wasting our vote expecting that something's going to change? These two parties have created this mess. And again, it doesn't matter which side you pick, but the two parties are the ones that got us into this mess. They're not going to get us out. They benefit from the stagnation that we see in our politics. And so from that perspective, if we really want to elicit change in our politics, it starts by bringing people in that are common sense solutions, that care about the community, and want to do what's best for the community, not for the, for the parties or the talking points.